Hi Church, today I'll be doing the reading from Romans 1, verse 18 to 32. Please follow along. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men, likewise, gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased minds to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but approval to those who practice them. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, it is great to be with you this morning, even if it is uh, via uh, uh, the lens of the camera and via the internet. Uh, it, it is good to be with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Sean Storer. Uh, my wife, Tanith, and my two children, Cade and Tyne, we, we're part of the, the family at, uh, at Christ Church Midrand. Uh, I also uh, am part of the teaching team at Johannesburg Bible College. And I, I also work for a ministry called Truth Walk that, uh, that does Bible studies, uh, for, for working people in the workplace. Uh, as you know, we are spending, uh, this Sunday and uh, last Sunday, uh, thinking about, uh, what is your story? Uh, and really what we are doing is, uh, is, is looking at the fact that, um, ultimately our stories are made for God's story. Uh, that the way we make sense of our lives, is to see how we fit into into God's story uh, and how Jesus is the one and the only one who re- can really bring us uh, into God's story. So we're going to carry on with that this week. So uh, would you pray with me and just ask as we ask God to help us? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we do ask for your help. Um, uh, you know uh, everyone who's listening to this at the moment. Or, um, you know their story. Um, you know our deepest need. Uh, and so please, we just pray that you would be present with us as we, as we think about our lives, um, and help us to understand, 
why it is that we need Christ. And so we really do ask for your help, and we pray this in his name. Amen. So I, I want you to imagine for a minute that you are having a, a conversation with a lady called Olivia. Uh, and the conversation has has turned to religion, as it sometimes does. And uh, and you're a Christian, and, and maybe you've been – you started to talk about how you became a Christian and uh, and how it is that, that you came to – uh, to understand who Jesus was and have put your trust in, in Christ. And Olivia turns to you at that moment and she says to you, uh, you know, I, I live with my girlfriend. Um, and, you know, I understand that, that you're a Christian, but, but why would someone like me ever want to be a Christian? Isn't Jesus homophobic? Now, I would imagine that some of you don't even have to try and imagine that conversation. You've been part of a conversation like that. And, of course, some of you who are listening this morning, you you have been Olivia in that conversation, and you still have that same question. And so let's just stop for a moment and think about uh, and try and understand what it is that Olivia is actually saying. Uh, she's saying to you, why on earth? Would I put the kind of trust, the kind of trust that you're talking about, the trust that you have in Jesus, why would I put my trust in a person who has an irrational hatred and an intolerance and a fear of someone like me? Because that's what Olivia probably means by the word homophobic. She's talking about an ir- irrational hatred, an intolerance and a fear of someone who is gay. And and Olivia is convinced that that is how Jesus feels about her. And it's you can understand then, isn't it? Who on earth would would want to put their faith and trust uh, in someone like that? And so, friends, what would we say to Olivia? Well, I think first of all we have to say that Jesus is definitely not homophobic. Uh, Jesus does not have an ir- irrational hatred of Olivia. Jesus is not intolerant of her in the sense that he he kind of just writes her off as someone who doesn't deserve to be listened to, uh, who who doesn't deserve respect, uh, someone who should not be understood. Jesus doesn't do that. And Jesus certainly does not have a fear of Olivia. You will never, ever find Jesus, certainly the Jesus of the Gospels, treating anyone in that way. And so, so why is it that Olivia has this feeling that that that's how Jesus feels about her. Well, our friends, I think sadly, because maybe that's how some Christians have treated Olivia and people like her. The sad truth is that sometimes it's Christians who get in the way of people like Olivia seeing Jesus for who he really is. And so what is it that you and I can say to Olivia as Christian people that will help her to see the truth about Jesus? What can we say? How do we talk about Jesus to someone who is convinced that Jesus hates her, that that Jesus fears her, that Jesus wants nothing to do with him or her because because he or she is attracted to someone of, of the same sex? How do we talk to them? What do we say? And if you are someone like Olivia and you're listening to this, what can I say to you? Well, I think I want to start off by saying that Jesus does not think of Olivia's lifestyle as simply an issue of morality. 
Now, please don't misunderstand me. This is a moral issue for Jesus. Jesus is not just a good human being. He's not just a, a, a great teacher. Jesus is the God-man. He is the person who is both God and man. And it's through that person, through the person of Jesus, that the God of the Bible reveals himself to us most clearly and shows us who he is and what he is like. And friends, it is quite clear in the Bible that, that God makes it very clear that homosexual sex is wrong. He calls it a sin. And it would be very dishonest of me and very unhelpful if I try and hide that fact from, uh, from Olivia. Jesus does think that homosexual sex is a sin. He does. But you see, I think it's also very unhelpful me, helpful for me to just to say to Olivia, well, Jesus thinks that what you're doing is wrong. I don't think that's helpful. It's unhelpful for two reasons. Firstly, just saying it like that, just saying to Olivia, you know, what you're doing is wrong and Jesus thinks that what you're doing is wrong. Just saying it like that um, ignores the fact that this is a deeply, deeply personal part of her life. Something that is, that is more complex than that's simply a moral issue. It ignores the fact that this may very well have been a very painful part of Olivia's life. And so just to say to someone, well, what you're doing is wrong, that doesn't really help them much, does it? To, to see Jesus and to, and to listen to Jesus. But friends, I think sec- secondly, and, and maybe even more importantly, God doesn't just say that sex, homosexual sex is wrong just because he made some rule about sex. If I really want to help Olivia to understand where God is coming from, then I need to show Olivia why God says what he says about sex. Why does God say anything about sex for that matter? Why Why is, is God so concerned about Olivia's relationship with her girlfriend? And you see, to answer that question, I think we have to go to the beginning. We have to go to where sex started. We've got to go back to the start of the Bible when God actually created the world. And so so really what I want to do is I want to take Olivia back to the beginning of God's story, God's story for us, so that I can help her to see how her life is supposed to fit into God's story. And so there are, are just a few really, really important things that I would I want to show Olivia. I want her to know about what happened right at the very beginning when God created the world. And of course, one of the first things to, to notice, and, and we go to Genesis 1 for that, for this. One of the first things to notice is that God created us in his image. He created human beings in his image. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, and if you, if you have a Bible, it'll be helpful just to follow, uh, but uh, you can also just listen. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 reads like this. Then let, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. And so the first thing to notice there is that God created us in, in his image, which just spent a little bit of time thinking about that, and it, that is just a remarkable fact all on its own. And it has a whole lot of implications for us. But the, the one thing that Genesis does tell us about the fact that we're made in God's image is that he made us that way because he gave us a very important job to do. So you read verse 28. God blessed them, that is, the first man and the woman, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, 
Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So our job as human beings is to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, at its most basic level, what that means is that we are to fill the earth with more people. There there needs to be more of us. And we need to fill the earth with people so that we can, we can work it and manage it and, and turn it into this thing that is wonderfully pro- productive and fruitful. That's the job that God has given us. So he gives us this, this empty, wild, but wonderfully fertile garden. And he says, now farm it, work it, develop it, turn it into a place where human beings can, can flourish. And that's one of the most important reasons why he made us in his image, so we can do that job. He made us like him in some ways. We're able to create so that we can do the job that he's given us. And you see, friends, that is why a crucial part of being in God's image is that he created two genders, two sexes. His design is that we are either male or female. So verse 27, again it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Humanity, friends, would not have been able to do the job that God gives them in Genesis if we had been only male or only female. And, of course, there are all kinds of jokes that we could make about that, but that is the reality. To do the job that God has given us as humanity, he created us male and female. But you see that... The way we are supposed to do our job as human beings is with God as God. And what I mean by that is we're supposed to do the job by listening to what God says about how we live in the world that he's made and put us into. And and the truth is, friends, that, that God didn't actually say a whole lot about how he wants us to live here. So Genesis chapter 2 verse 16, this is what he says. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In other words, friends, as you listen to that, you realize that that God gave us incredible freedom. As he explained to us how we are to live in this world that he has made for us, there's amazing freedom. You can eat from any tree in the garden. The only boundary that God draws is, is around that one tree. And what he's saying to us is the way that you must understand good and evil is by listening to him and not just deciding for ourselves. See, that's the importance of the tree, the only tree that that they mustn't eat from. It wasn't a magic tree. It's not like it had this wonderful juicy fruit that when you ate it, somehow wisdom seeked into your brain. That's not the meaning of the tree. The tree represented our willingness to trust God, to listen to God by not eating from it. It represented our willingness to to live in this world, in this wonderfully open relationship of trust in God, trust in his goodness and his power and his wisdom, trusting that God knows and wants what is best for us. That's actually the best life, knowing God, trusting God, obeying God, loving God, worshiping God. That's the good life. That's what it means to be, to live with freedom. To be free from death is living in obedience to God. 
And so in other words, friends, what you see in Genesis is that God designs a world where our relationship of trust in him as our creator is the key relationship for everything else. Everything else revolves around that relationship, our relationship with God. But what I want to see, especially this morning in Genesis, is that when God made the world in that way, he gave marriage a very important place in his creation. So in Genesis 2, we kind of zoom in on this creation story, and and we read there how God planted this wonderful garden, and then he places Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. The, The woman, Eve, is described as the perfect helper. And what that means is she's the perfect complement to the man. She's the power that that makes up for all the ways that, that he's not able to do the job that God has given humanity to do. If you like, they are the, they're the first and the perfect power couple. And God brings them together. Eve is Adam's perfect equal. And she's the perfect complement. Because unlike all the other animals... Uh, she is the same as Adam. She's made from the same stuff as Adam. She's a human being. But she's also the total opposite to Adam. She's woman, not man. And so God, God brings them together as the perfect couple to do the job that he's given them to do. And then look at what happens in verse 24. It says there, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So so the story of the beginning of creation, how does it end? It ends with a wedding. Adam and Eve get married. And you see, that wedding, that first wedding, explains what marriage means to God and, and what it means in God's world. So a, a man leaves his father and mother. In other words, he leaves his family and the two are united and become one flesh as they start a new family. And their children will start new families. And so the thing spreads. And so at the center of this marriage relationship between the man and his wife is sex. It says they become one flesh. Now that speaks of more than just sex, but it certainly includes sex. And so sex is the physical act of the two becoming one flesh. And that's why it says that they feel no shame as they stand naked before in front of each other. You see, friends, the act of sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife is a, is a good and a God-given act that is absolutely central to his design and plans for the world because it lies at the heart of marriage. And so God's design for marriage and sex are central to humanity as a whole as they serve God in this open relationship of trust not just with God, but also with, with each other. And so the point I'm making here is that God designed sex and marriage to work in this way in his world. It has a very specific place and purpose in the way he made the world. And everything else that God says about marriage and sex in the rest of the Bible comes back to this. It comes back to why he created it and what he has designed it for. And so, friends, as I speak to Olivia, I want her to see that. I want her to know that. I want her to understand that when Jesus talks about sex, that he wants her to understand why God made her, why God made us, and and why he has given us sex and marriage. 
That's the beginning of God's story for us. But of course, friends, the reality is that Olivia's lived experience is not what we read in Genesis chapter 2. So that wedding in Genesis chapter 2, that's not Olivia's dream wedding. That's not the lived experience of someone who's attracted to a person of the same sex. In fact, what I need to say is that that what we see in Genesis 2, friends, is not even the lived experience of people who are, who are attracted to someone of the opposite sex. This is not even the lived experience of straight people. Because the reality is that something has gone horribly wrong since Genesis chapter 2. And so for all of us, for all of us, friends, our, section, our, our experience as sexual beings is broken. Something has gone wrong. And it's gone wrong because of Genesis 3. And we can't go into the detail, but as we start with Adam and Eve, what happened there, friends, and it, what has continued to happen is that humanity has bought the lie. The lie that Satan was selling in Genesis chapter 3. We believe Satan when he says to Adam and Eve, you cannot trust God. You cannot trust that God wants what is best for you. You know better than God. You will be better off if you don't listen to him. You will surely not die if you eat the fruit. That's the lie that he sold. You will not die if you disobey God, if you don't trust in the goodness of God. And so that key relationship, friends, was broken down. And we cannot even begin to imagine and begin to understand the damage that that has caused in God's creation. That is, it has caused in our lives, that it's caused even in us as human beings. And you read on in Genesis 3, it goes on to explain how, how, how that one act of rejecting God and not trusting God has brought fear and frustration and pain and conflict, it's brought danger, it's brought confusion into God's world. And that's not just between us and God, but it's between us as human beings. And you notice especially between men and women, the conflict comes. And even within ourselves, there's this conflict and brokenness. And not just that, but even between us and the physical world that God has created, all of it, friends, is broken because we've turned from God. It's all broken and twisted. And so, you see, there is this deep, deep disorder that has entered into God's order, the created order that he made. Disorder has entered in because that relationship between us and him has broken down. And you see, friends, that disorder has had a profound impact on how all of us experience our sexuality. And to get some idea of what that impact is, how it has impacted us as sexual beings, we can turn to Paul's letter to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, which was read for us earlier, Paul explains how the tragedy of Genesis 3 continues to play itself out in the human experience. And there's a pattern that Paul describes that plays itself out over and over and over again in our relationship with God and even with one another. Since Genesis chapter 3. So the pattern is this. Firstly what happens is. That God reveals himself. And friends he reveals himself to all people everywhere. He does it through creation. So have a look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Who who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So what Paul is saying is people everywhere know that God exists. They know that God is God. They know that he is powerful. They know that he is God simply by the fact that God has made them and made this world and put us here. And so as Paul says, people are without excuse. They know God is there. But what happens next? Well, human beings suppress the truth. We reject it. We choose, we choose not to trust God. And, and notice how we do this. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So, so we, we do not see, recognize God as God. Instead, what do we do? Look at how it continues. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So what do we do? We reject God by replacing him with something else. We take something that God has made, part of his creation, and we we replace God with that thing, whatever it may be. As long as it's not him, anything but God. But notice what happens when we do that. You see, to know that there is a living, powerful God, and then to take something that that God has created and replace him with that, For us to do that, friends, our thinking has to become futile and foolish, says Paul. The kind of thinking that convinces us that that is a good thing to do, that that is a good idea, Paul says that that thinking is is futile, it's empty, foolish thinking. And so you see what happens as as we turn from God, as we replace God, our thinking becomes disordered. It becomes foolish. But then look what happens. The next step in the pattern is God reveals his anger. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So friends, God lets us know that he's angry with us. He lets us know that he's angry by handing us over to what we, what we want, what we think we want. He, he hands us over to a world where we think we are better off without him. And notice there, it's not only our thinking that is broken down, but the desires of our hearts become disordered as well. What we want becomes disordered. Our desires become become sinful. We begin to want the opposite of what God wants us to want. And God hands us over to these disordered desires and this foolish thinking so that we will know, friends, that something is wrong, so that we will know that he's angry with us. Now notice how this plays itself out in our, exper- in our uh, sexual experience uh, in verses 25 to 27. They exchange the truth about God. So God revealed himself. We reject that truth. We replace him with something else. We, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. And because of this, here's the next step. God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
Even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with, relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, please notice, Paul is not saying here that homosexuality is more sinful than all other sins. He's not saying that this is the sin. What he's showing us here is is that as we have tried to replace God with something else, that this devastating disorder has entered into God's order. He's taking us back to Genesis. You see, in Genesis we saw that marriage between a man and a woman and the purpose of sex in marriage, that was all central to the way God had designed the world. It was central as we lived in this relationship of trust with God. And what he's saying here in Romans is that since our relationship with God has broken down, disorder and brokenness has come into every part of our human existence, our human experience. And one of the most powerful and evident ways that you will see that is our experience as sexual beings. It's seen in the way that we treat sex and marriage. And so, friends, the truth is homosexuality is the opposite of everything you see in Genesis 2. Instead of man and woman, it is now man and man or woman and woman. It is an undoing. It is a disordering of God's good design. But you see, homosexuality is not the only disorder. Verse 24, Paul talks about sexual impurity. He makes it very clear that all the ways we find to abuse sex by taking it outside of marriage, for instance, or friends, even the way we find ways to abuse sex within marriage, even between a man and a woman, all of that is evidence that God has handed us over to the disorder that has entered into the world because we've rejected him. And again, it's sex is not only the disorder. It's not, it's not the only disorder. Listen to what he says from verse 28. He says, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Again, that thinking that is foolish and futile so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Paul is not there speaking of gay people. He's speaking of all people. The disorder of sin, friends, is felt in every single part of our human experience. And it all comes from the same root. We've exchanged God for something else. We have decided we cannot trust God. We will not trust God. We know better. And so God has handed us over to this disorder. Now, friends, what, what can I say to Olivia in the light of all of this? Well, I think I, the first thing I would like you to understand is that disorder is always chaotic. There's no order to disorder. You see, these verses are not saying, friends, that Olivia is gay. She's, it's not saying that she's attracted to people of the same sex because she has committed some particular sin. We all experience disorder in our life in some way or another because of this relationship with God has broken down. But you see, the problem with disorder, the problem with brokenness is it's never fair. It's random. It's chaotic. That's the nature of disorder. 
And so, friends, the disorder and the way we experience it doesn't spread evenly and in a fair way to everyone in the world and to the same degree. Think about suffering. Suffering is the same thing. It comes from the same root. It comes from the fact that we've rejected God. But suffering is never fair. It's never spread evenly to all people in all places. And so what I'm trying to say is that individual people, friends, will experience the sexual brokenness in different ways and in different degrees. Olivia's attraction to someone of the same sex is the way she experiences it. Others experience it in different ways. There's no order to sexual disorder. And secondly, what I want to say to Olivia is that God thinks that her attraction to someone of the same sex is not simply a matter of choice. For her. Friends, we, we need to understand how total this disorder is. You see, it has impacted every part of our humanity. It's impacted our biology, how our bodies actually work. It has impacted our internal psychology, how we think about ourselves and others. It's impacted our thinking, our desires. It's impacted our relationships, all our, the network of relationships that we have with family and friends. It's impacted our society. It's even impacted our environment. And so, uh, to put it this way, we are, we are profoundly broken people living in a profoundly broken world. That's what Paul is saying. And so, friends, when Olivia says that she is attracted to her girlfriend, we need to understand those desires are real. It's not as if Olivia just decided that she's going to be gay because she's anti-God. And yes, friends, those desires are wrong. Yes, they are disordered. And yes, at the root of it is rebellion against God. But you see, those desires are real. And, And they've come about because Olivia's sexuality has been impacted by all the other disorder that is going on in her life. Her biology, her psychology, her relationships, her thinking, her beliefs, all of it, friends, in one way or another is disordered to some degree or another. And it's all of that that has brought her to this place where she experiences disordered desires that are very real and very powerful. But the truth is, friends, we're all in the same boat as Olivia. We're all just as broken. It's just that for most of us, We don't experience sexual brokenness the same way she does. Now, what does this mean for Olivia? Well, friends, it means that she needs what all of us need. She needs what I need. What Olivia needs, friends, is help. Not just constant condemnation. She needs help. She doesn't need morality. She needs rescue. What Olivia needs is what I need. Olivia needs people who are willing to understand who she is, who understand where she comes from, who are willing to listen what may have happened to her, listen to her story, listen to how she feels, how she thinks, to listen to what her struggles and what her battles are. Olivia needs someone who's going to walk a long road with her, a road that may often be difficult. As she tries to deal with not just sexual disorder, but all of the disorder in her life. Friends, that's what we all need. 
Now again, please understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that homosexuality or any sin for that matter, no matter what it is, I'm not saying that those things are not a moral issue. They are moral issues. All sin is about us willfully disobeying God. What I'm saying is that it's just more than that. It's more than just a moral issue. All of our experience of sin, friends, in all of its messiness and pain, is God's way of showing us something is wrong. Your life is broken. And God isn't saying to us, you just need to, you must just stop being immoral. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying to us, you must just stop stealing. You must just stop lying. You must just stop cheating. Just stop being greedy. Stop being violent or unkind. That's not what he's saying. Just stop being racist. He's not saying to Olivia, just stop being gay. Stop being attracted to people of the same sex. Friends, he's not saying to straight people. He's not saying to you, stop being attracted to someone you're not married to. Or stop being attracted to that naked person on the screen of your phone or on your PC. That's not what God is saying. He's not saying just stop. God is saying to you, you need to be rescued. You need a rescuer. God is saying to us, we need someone who's going to rescue us from the idolatry that is in our hearts. The fact that we've replaced God with something else. We need, friends, someone who's going to rescue us from the from God's anger because of the idolatry that is in our hearts. That's our biggest problem. And so we need someone who can come and rescue us from the total and the catastrophic and uh, disorder, the devastating disorder that our idolatry has caused, not just in our lives, but in our world. You see, friends, what Olivia needs, what we all need, is Jesus. Everything Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, he writes because of what he has just said in the two verses before that. Have a look, Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation, you see that, to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, in other words, to everybody. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What Paul is doing here, friends, is he's building a case to show us how how desperate our need is. That we desperately need something that has to come from outside of us. It's not going to come from within. In fact, it has to come from God. Only God can do this. And, and that something that we need, friends, is a person. It is Jesus. We need Jesus. The gospel that he talks about here is the good news about Jesus. It's the news that God has, that Jesus has been sent by God to come and make us righteous, to make us right with God. Jesus came here, friends, to be handed over to the ultimate disorder, which is death. That's what he willingly came to do. That's what his father sent him to do. He's the only person who didn't deserve it. He's the only person who never, ever had even a hint of idolatry in his heart. But he was handed over. And he, in fact, handed himself over willingly and in love. He handed himself over to death in our place as our substitute so that we can be right with God. The anger that we deserve because of the the idolatry in our hearts is poured out onto Jesus so that it doesn't have to be poured out onto us. 
He was sent us yeah, to rescue us from God's anger because of our, our idolatry. And he's the only one who can do that. Because he is the God-man. So what does that mean for Olivia? Well, of course it means, just like everyone else, just like me, Olivia needs Jesus to do that for her, to pay for the idolatry that is in her heart. She needs to trust in Jesus, that Jesus died there in her place so that she can be right with God. She needs Jesus to rescue her from being handed over to the ultimate disorder. All the other disorders are just a a taste of what is to come, and that is death, eternal death. And you see, friends, what it means is that Jesus doesn't say to Olivia, "You you need to stop being gay before you come to me. Jesus doesn't say, friends, that one of the preconditions of turning to him in faith and trust is that you must be straight. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, come as you are. You need me as you are. Only I can do this for you. There's nothing you can do. I need to do it for you. But the truth is, friends, as we come to Jesus, we're not only forgiven. We are wonderfully forgiven. We're not just set free from God's judgment. But we actually receive new life. And the promise in Christ is that ultimately we will be set free from all the disorder that is in our lives, including sexual disorder. That's the promise of coming to Christ. But listen to this, and this is important. The reality for every person who comes to Christ is that even though we are forgiven, and wonderfully so, yes, and even though we are accepted by God unconditionally because of Christ, The truth is, friends, the promise that God makes us is that we will only be truly and finally and fully free from the disorder in our lives when we get to the new heavens and the new earth. Now, what that means for Olivia is that if she comes to Christ, she's going to have a fight on her hands for the rest of her life, just like all Christians do. She's entering into a fight. You see, Olivia is still going to experience Disordered desires. They're not just going to disappear overnight. But what Jesus has done, friends, it has now made it possible for people like Olivia, people like me, to fight those desires as Christians. Jesus has made it possible for, for her to not have to act on those desires. Friends, that's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who is loved, forgiven, and accepted by God because of Christ. Full stop. But they are also new people in Christ. The resurrection life of Christ is in us. God's spirit is living in us. And God has empowered us to to fight for his good order in our lives, little by little by little, until we get to heaven, where we will experience it in all its fullness. And, And see, what that means is that sometimes, along the way, some of our desires will be changed as God is at work in us. But friends, very often they won't be. A lot of disordered, uh, of the disorder in our lives will be there until we get home. But what the fight means is that we no longer have to simply give in to those desires. We can fight by God's grace. And also with the help of fellow fighters, with other Christians. We can, we can, we, it's now possible for us to not act on those sinful desires. And so again for Olivia, It means that her desires um, may be changed. It it may be changed enough um, so that some of the disorder in her life is undone, but it may also mean that 
that it's that she isn't changed and that she has to live with same-sex attraction for the rest of her life. And what that means for her as a Christian, if she comes to Christ, it may mean living without sex and without marriage. It means living, friends, the rest of her life knowing that Jesus is enough, that what God has given her in Christ is enough. It means knowing that Jesus will get her home where she will finally be set free from all of this disorder. It means she can live now as part of God's story, even as she struggles, but she can live with joy and hope because of Christ. And friends, the call of the gospel is that we would walk that road with Olivia as her fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church, as we need others to walk with us. Now friends, Jesus is definitely not homophobic. He certainly does not hate Olivia with an irrational hate. He definitely does not fear her. He doesn't say, I will not tolerate you in my presence until you get rid of the feelings you have for your girlfriend. Jesus doesn't say that. Because Jesus willingly and out of love laid down his life for Olivia while she was still gay. He invites her to trust in him, to pay for the sin that is at the root of all of the disorder in her life while she is still gay. He says, come to me as you are. He says, trust in me to ultimately set you free from all of the disorder. And I'll get you home. And until then, walk day by day trusting in me. He says to Olivia, trust me to bring you into God's story. So that you can begin to make sense of your own story. Now friends, that's what we, we're wanting to do in these two weeks. We want to invite people like Olivia and others, people like myself, to come to Christ and to find our way into God's story so that the disorder, the painful disorder in our lives can begin to be undone as we, as we realize that we were made for God, that God is good, that God can be trusted. He wants what is best for us. He's given his own son so that we can experience that. Begin to taste it now and to, and to live it for the rest of eternity. That's what Jesus is inviting you to do. And if, if that is something you, you feel you need to do, I'm, I'm going to hand over to Martin. He's going to speak to you. He's going to pray with you. And so we really do encourage you uh, to respond today to what Jesus is saying. You have just heard the word of God. And there will be some amongst us this morning who know, who know that God is talking to you. And you have felt the Holy Spirit pressing in upon your heart and upon your soul as the word of God has been opened up to you. You need to respond. If you want to become a Christian, you need to cross a line. You need to take a step. And you do that through prayer. That's how you cross a line. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to get right with God today, not tomorrow, not next week, there may not be next week. If you want to get right with God today, why don't you pray this prayer with me? It's a very personal prayer. It's a very private prayer. But it's the prayer you need to pray today to get right with God. Now, you may not yet be ready to pray this prayer, and we understand that. And so we're not placing any pressure upon you. It is a personal matter between you and God.
So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let me tell you the prayer that I'm going to pray and then you need to decide whether you want to pray that prayer. So you need to know what it is. The prayer is this, Lord Jesus. I don't understand it all, but I know that I need you. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin. Will you rescue me? Will you make me a Christian? Will you help me to live under your leadership? Now, if you want to pray that prayer, if you feel that God the Holy Spirit is pressing in upon your heart, your mind today, well, then you repeat those words just quietly in the back of your head back of your head, it's between you and God, you repeat these words. Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I know that I need you. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin. Will you rescue me? Will you make me a Christian? Will you help me to live under your leadership? And Father, we thank you that when we turn to you with all our doubts and all our questions, but when we cry to you for mercy, that you have promised to hear us and to answer. And so, Lord, this morning, will you supernaturally work today? And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, some of you may have prayed that prayer. And uh, this may well be your first step in becoming a Christian. And becoming a Jesus follower. A disciple of Jesus. That is the most wonderful thing in the world. Now, if you did pray that prayer, or you want to know more, then we need to get in contact with you. So normally when we're in church, we have a response card, but of course we on church online, so uh, we have the response card online, But uh, and you'll see it there. Can you fill that in? We need to have your name and your details so that we can contact you. And the reason we want to contact you is to be able to send you some material and resources to help you in your first and your second and your third step in following Jesus. You'll see on the card or online it says, I prayed the prayer. So if you prayed the prayer, will you tick that box? Perhaps you didn't pray the prayer, but you'd like to know more. You're not yet ready to pray the prayer, and we understand that. Well, why don't you tick the box, I want to know more. Or perhaps you prayed that prayer months or years ago, and perhaps you enjoyed the service. You may want to tick that box, and there may be any comments that you want to make. Will you fill that in for us today, now, before you leave this online service? Send it to us so that we can help you in your spiritual journey. God bless you.